Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And boy, have we got a bunch of good listener mail for you today. These came in in response to our episodes on mirrors, on waiting, I think on uh, Chronotelli, the Soviet Lord of the Rings adaptation. Uh, <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, Rob, are you ready to jump right in? Let's do it. Okay, maybe I'll start off doing this one from Cody about mirrors. Cody says, J plus R. Oh boy, so much to say about mirrors, and I'll keep it as brief as I can. Really, you guys could have done a five-part series on mirrors, and it would have stayed fresh the whole time. Okay, so point number one. You guys mentioned Solar Deo Uni as the largest natural mirror in the world, but I thought you'd like to know that space-based telescopes and mapping satellites use that mirror to calibrate their instruments because they can see themselves reflected in it. I, I haven't fact-checked this, but I believe you, Cody, and that sounds really interesting. Uh, so, again, as a refresher, if you don't remember, this was the giant salt flat that will sometimes fill with very still water uh, during the, I think, during the rainy season. This is in South America. So it forms this giant reflective surface that is a, a photographer's dream. And a lot of you'll find a lot of cool pictures of people posing there and, and standing on what looks like an infinite mirror. Uh, but Cody goes on. Point number two. I was attending a conference in Rome that was held in an ancient Roman circular building with a large copper bowl recessed into the floor. Above this bowl, there was a hole in the ceiling, and someone associated with the conference said that this had something to do with letting moonlight into the room and reflecting it around. That got me thinking, though, that surely someone would have looked down into this bowl while the moon was overhead and would have been shocked to see the moon magnified. Or, if not this bowl in particular, somebody somewhere must have accidentally built a crude telescope with a reflective copper bowl and perhaps seen the mountains on the moon long before Thomas Harriot described them in the 1600s. But no such story exists, or at least I can't find any evidence this happened. Imagine, though, had very ancient people like the Greeks been aware of the worldness of the moon and how different history might have unfolded from then on. That's a really interesting thought, Cody. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here's one from Nayla. Nayla writes in and says, Hi, Robert, Joe, and Seth. First off, I'm a huge fan of the show and have been listening for years. I love how you pull from science, history, art, and mythology when considering a subject. I always look forward to seeing what you will tackle next. I just finished your third episode on mirrors, and I have to write in about my cats. We have four cats. We asked for this, by the way, in case you oh, haven't yeah. listened to oh, this. Yeah. We have four cats. Two of them show no interest in mirrors, but the third has actually learned how to use them. That's scary. I, yeah. <laughs> I have a full-length mirror leaning against a wall, and this cat, Chloe, will use the mirror to stalk another cat from behind the furniture. The furniture blocks line of sight, so Chloe will watch the other cat in the mirror and then pounce on it in the real world. I can't tell if she recognizes herself, but she does seem to be able to accurately relate the reflection to real life. Wow, I, I'm almost kind of skeptical of this, but uh, but yeah, I, I believe what you say, Nayla. Um, the, it, it seems... I don't know. It seems different than than the self recognition test, where they would recognize their own body in the mirror. But it does seem uh, certainly, I don't know, harder to believe than just seeing their reflection in a mirror and regarding it as another animal. Yeah. Either way, it sounds like Chloe is a clever girl. 
Yes. Anyway, she continues, we recently adopted a kitten, and at first she reacted to her reflection as if it was another cat. Now, though, she also seems to understand how it works. Once when she was facing the mirror, I stood behind her and held up her favorite toy. When she saw the toy in the mirror, she turned around and ran up to me. Hmm. Completely anecdotal, of course, but I do think cats are a lot smarter than people give them credit. Thanks for the many hours of learning and entertainment. Uh, Nayla. Interesting. This has got my brain burning. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to think about all this, but uh, in a way, it, it does make sense that if a cat was to use a mirror, what would it use it for? You know, for grooming itself? No. Cats are already great at that. They don't need a mirror's help with that. Right. Uh, would they be able to utilize it to better hunt and to practice their hunting? Well, maybe so. Hmm. And I do agree that that cats. I, I think are. I think it's wrong to dismiss the cats as being, uh, you know, stupid. They can certainly do some things that uh, that humans might be tempted to judge as stupid. But you know, they they have a different social situation compared to other animals. Like dogs and cats, like they just they live in in, in different sensory realms. They have different. Uh, you know, social structures for how they regard each other. So, uh, and, and different, you know, d- different behaviors. So, um, and I think by and large, when we, when we think about animals in general, we have to be careful about, um, saying like one is, this one's smart and this one's dumb. Like, no, generally speaking, an animal is as smart as it needs to be to do the things that it excels at. Yeah. They have different kinds of intelligence than we do. Yeah. Are you going to say a slug isn't smart? I mean, the slu- slugs are doing great. They're, 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 they're killing it out there. <laughs> this is a new motto of our show. Slugs are smart. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, from Jesse. Hey, y'all. I've just finished listening to all three of your episodes on mirrors, and I'd like to see if you'd be interested in talking about a more recent phenomenon, mirror selfies. As more and more people have access to cameras and are able to easily publish photos of themselves, I've also noticed that taking a picture of yourself in a mirror is still very popular. Is this because it's easy to take a picture this way, uh, parentheses, everyone has a mirror in their bathroom and you don't need a tripod, or can it also be that taking a picture of yourself in a mirror captures a certain version of you? Thanks for listening and keep up the great work, Jesse. Uh, This is a great question, and I think both of your answers there might have something to do with it. I mean, one thing is that, like we were talking about in the very first Mirror episode, your image that you have in your brain of yourself is probably based mostly on looking at yourself in a mirror, which is different than the way you look to most people because it's reversed along the horizontal plane. So there's definitely that. But then there's also, I think... um, you ever notice how I feel like this is true for me, uh, but I don't know how true this is for other people. I feel like I am better at positioning my body and my face in a way that I think looks good in a mirror than I am able to do in a photo. Like when I'm posing for a photograph, I guess because I can't see myself when I'm posing for a photograph. And so I guess you could maybe see yourself in the screen of a phone that's like reversed into selfie mode, but that's a very small thing you're looking at there when you if you're just looking at your reflection in the mirror you're getting more information and like a larger picture to base your pose on does that make sense yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of real-time feedback in exactly how you're posing your body yeah all right this one comes to us from alan alan says two tidbits for you to consider 
Number one, in Mirrors Part 1, you mentioned covered mirrors. In Jewish tradition, when a person dies and the family is in a period of deep mourning, called Shiva, mirrors are covered. On a logical level, it could be so that people don't try to spruce up their appearance. But on a mystical level, it could be an avoidance of the deceased in case they are in the mirror, I think. Hmm. Um, and then Alan also writes, I treat vets with PTSD. When we talk to them about their experiences on deployment and how psychotic that was, we refer to it as stepping through the looking glass, as in Alice in Wonderland, uh, where reality is topsy-turvy and psychotic. In, the re- in their rehabilitation, we try to alleviate the effects of the combat stress and help normalize their lives. The military prepares them with battle mind, whereas we try to teach, for lack of a better way of putting it, civilian mind. Love the podcast, Alan. So we got this email before the last episode where we were talking more about mirror metaphors, but this is clearly one of the big ones, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. of stepping across the boundary of the mirror into like a reversed version of yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Through the looking glass is, is the, probably the, the prime example of that. And I remember encountering big mirrors as a child and thinking about that, like staring into the mirror and imagining what would happen if you crawled through that mirror and you were in that world on the other side. Um, and I don't know to what extent it was uh, because of Alice in Wonderland or illustrations of it that I had seen, but uh, but yeah, that definitely went through my mind. And maybe that was what was going through my mind when I managed to to pull a large mirror uh, that was hanging on a wall behind a couch off of the wall and break it over my my body when I was something like I don't know two or three or something. What? I don't yeah. think you told me about this. Oh yeah. Well, if it's it's it, it was long of a favorite story in in uh, in my household. Uh, I don't really remember it happening, but I remember I remember standing there on the couch with broken mirror all around me and like adults running in. Uh, but I was completely unscathed. So in a way, I did go through the looking glass. Did, did you think you were? Do you think you were trying to get through? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was just looking in it and I decided to pull on it, but it, it, it's made me very nervous about hanging mirrors my whole life. I just hung a mirror the other day and, you know, as I was like measuring everything twice and second guessing it and warning everybody in the house. Now don't hang on this. <laughs> Even the adults and, you know, the, and my wife is like, I'm, I'm not going to hang on the mirror. You don't have to worry about that. Somehow this seems very illuminating about you. But yes, I've been through the looking glass. Okay, we got a couple of messages uh, in response to our Vault episode about the tomato. Uh, I remember those tomato episodes being being some favorites of mine. One juicy. Is, uh, yeah, very juicy. Uh, one is from Arthur. Uh, apparently, I, I think we were talking about vegetarian substitutes for bacon and a BLT. Mm-hmm. And Arthur says, the best non-meat substitute for bacon I found for sandwiches and salads is barbecue-flavored potato chips. Scratches the bacon itch. Mm. You know, that that's a good idea, Arthur. Huh, I'll have to try that. I do love some uh, some barbecue chips. I mean, I think in the episode we talked about stuff like uh, maybe like roasted eggplant or like roasted mushrooms that can create a very nice meaty flavor. But th- with those, you wouldn't really get a bacony texture. But with barbecue potato chips, hey, that's crispy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, they keep up the ante on, uh, on, our, on our fake meat world. I mean, just a year later, we have... We have some some wonderful options that have just come online. I was just trying out some new field dogs the other day. Not field dogs. They were like uh, they're supposed to be like stadium dogs. They're supposed to taste like a baseball hot dog, but mm-hmm. they're a, a, a plant based like alternative. <laughs> yeah, they taste like baseball. They're good. They're good. 
Oh, cool. Well, you know what? But the other way, I can't remember if we already said this in the episode. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. But the other way to go if you don't want bacon is you technically for a really good sandwich and you got good ripe summer tomatoes, you don't even need the lettuce and bacon. You can just have a bacon sandwich. Just like good bread, mayonnaise, and, and ripe summer tomatoes is exquisite. So just the not just the bacon, just the tomatoes. Did I say bacon? No, just think, the tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. I think you might have said just the the bacon at first. Anyway, oh. I know what you mean. I knew what you mean. Okay, just the tomato. The tomato stands alone. But if you're really pressed, I would say also um, just some some um, some bread and and mayonnaise. Also, not bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Squeeze a little lemon on there. Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. All right, this one comes to us from Blake. Hi, guys. I'm emailing you to share my thought regarding a potential use for tomatoes with a notable nicotine content. Mm. As a smoker who is currently trying to quit and who has tried nicotine replacement means such as vaping and nicotine gum, I think it sounds like one of the healthiest ways to stop smoking, (laughs) eating tomatoes in moderation. (laughs) Considering recent health issues around vaping and the dental issues around chewing gum, why not load up a nice juicy tomato with a bit of Nick? I really like your show. Respectfully, Blake. Oh my, Blake, I think you're joking, but please no one do this. (laughs) I think what we were talking about was that... uh, that somebody had managed or claimed to have managed to have grafted a tomato plant onto tobacco roots or something mm-hmm. like that. And they, they grew tomatoes with substantial nicotine content, which could be poisonous. So do, do not eat that seriously. Uh, we, we really don't want anybody to get uh, death by nicotine poisoning, even if it is from the most delicious ripe summer tomatoes. I concur. But all that aside, uh, good luck with quitting, Blake. Keep at it. All right, I think we should wrap this up with one last message, and this comes to us about Weird House Cinema on our episode about Soviet Lord of the Rings, a.k.a. Cronatelli or The Keepers. This comes from Pat. Pat says, Guys, thanks for giving me a chance to visit a peeve. On this episode, you repeated the oft-held notion that the Bombadil episode in The Fellowship of the Ring does not advance the plot and is understandably left out of other productions. I love those productions, in particular Peter Jackson's. This is one great error. Nerds like me have read everything we could. In light of all the books, particularly the Silmarillion, one cannot deny that Tolkien placed great importance in the religion and mythos of his world. The Bombadil episode is important because of the stress of mythos and religion. The knives given to the hobbits in the Barrow Downs are imbued with animism. A great moment of irony is lost when Mary helps defeat the Witch King using a sword that is wound with the curses of his vanquished. The trilogy is filled with this animism and and it is left out of theatrical productions. Thanks for all the fun. You guys are the best. Pat. Rob, I'm sure you have thoughts on this. Um, yeah, yeah. I think this makes it it's a good case. I mean, like, uh, like, uh, like Pat says, uh, clearly this is the, the kind of meat that Tolkien chewed on. You know, mm. he, didn't, he didn't do anything lightly regarding uh, uh, his use of mythology and symbolism and how he, he weaved these various, uh, you know, mythic elements into his work. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not like um, like as we're recording this, we just did a Weird House Cinema episode on on the, the the Return of the Blind Dead. You know, in the Return of the Blind Dead, you can make an argument for well, you could probably cut this out and everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but with 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 Tolkien, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna surgically remove something, well, maybe you didn't think that organ was doing anything, but it was probably in there because it was doing something uh, at least 
to a more, uh, you know, I guess, uh, detail-oriented, refined read of the original text. I mean, there's another way of thinking about whether things can be excised from the progress of a plot in a in a novel or a movie, um, which is that anything you take out will leave the final product changed. I mean, every little like moment and episode in a story changes the overall feelings and impression that the that the reader has. I mean, anything in a well-written story, unless it's just something that's incredibly repetitive and, and similar to what came before and after. Uh, so I do think the story is changed by taking out Tom Bombadil and the Barrow Downs. I think what I could acknowledge about it, uh, despite how much I like those those sections of the book, is that you can take those parts out and the story still feels like it makes perfect sense. Uh, a person who experiences the story without those parts does not detect that something is missing or does not feel like the story is incomplete. And yet at the same time, I think it's absolutely true that, yeah, when you take them out, something is lost, but the story can function without them. I think what we need to see, though, is that if, if Peter Jackson can make three films out of The Hobbit, he needs to make one film out of the Barrow Whites and Tom Bombadil section of standalone movie. The Fellowship. Yeah, standalone. Uh, I, I'm not sure what else he could draw on, but it oh, it's got to be possible. It's got to be possible. All the songs. You need to have all the songs, obviously. Um, Did maybe, we talk about casting for Bombadil yet? No, I was thinking a little bit of the other day, the other day though. I'm not sure how you do it. How do you, who could you possibly cast as Bombadil? You'd probably have to really draw from like musical theater, I guess. Uh, somebody with a strong, like singing, uh, sort of, um, presence. I don't know, but they also need to be peaceful and not menacing. Like, um, I'm thinking of like older actors, like maybe, maybe Brian Blessed could, uh, could have played this role, but, um, but, you know, then, I almost said Brian Cox just because I love Brian Cox, but that's totally wrong. Brian Cox right. is far too severe for Tom yeah. Bombadil. Yeah, because you don't want him to be menacing either, right? Yeah. I mean, um, it's it's a particular energy that Tom Bombadil has to have, and he's also he's got to have some some lungs. He's got to be able to, to to really belt those numbers, like basically acapella mid forest. Uh, so I'm not sure who you would cast. What about Stephen McKinley Henderson, who's playing Thufir Hawat in the upcoming Dune movie? I feel like he he maybe has the right kind of uh, of uh, sort of supernatural uh, benign presence that you need for Tom Bombadil. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. You do kind of. I feel like there's some crossover with actors who've effectively played Santa Claus. If mm-hmm. you have an effective Santa, maybe Bombadil. I was. I did think. I was thinking about. Um, I think you should leave. And I was thinking about the skits in season two with the where Santa Claus becomes an actor. I think <laughs> Crash, perhaps, Detective Crashmore. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think Santa Claus, the actor from from those skits, could potentially play Bombadil. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. Okay, I think we need to wrap it up there. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close the the mailbag here for this episode of Listener Mail. But we'll be back next Monday, so keep them coming. If you have thoughts about current episodes, recent episodes, future episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind or The Artifact or Weird Al Cinema, uh, responses to other listeners' emails, all of that is a fair game. So write in. We'd love to hear from you. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.